Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. For listeners who have been tuning in regularly, you've probably noticed I've got this little spiel off the top where I'm asking people to go over to YouTube. I have a channel over there, Life As A, dot, dot. And basically, it's just highlights from the main audio versions, from the podcast versions of these talks that I have with these great guests. And the reason I'm plugging it so hard is that I think this content really does matter. And I want to get it in front of people. I want to get in front of youth, people that are still undecided, who just don't know what they want to do with their lives. And I think this platform, you know, One YouTube, offers that opportunity kind of get up close and personal with some of these guests in a different format. And if you're just not into audio, if you're not into podcasting as a whole, that's fine. That's okay. Well, you can still digest the content in a different way. I would encourage you, if you do know somebody who's looking for that career, looking for some ideas, direct them over to lifeasa.dot over on YouTube. You know, if they're into videos, they might just find what they're looking for over there. And while you are there, hey, I would always appreciate a like or subscribe. It's the best way to let that algorithm know that the content matters, that it should be put in front of others. Well, I do thank you for letting me ask this of you, but I think it's about time we get into today's episode. Life as a human risk analyst. Did I pique your curiosity at all with the title? Well, I hope so. I mean, this is a really, really engaging conversation coming up. And we're going to be speaking about a job that, geez, five, ten years ago certainly would not have existed, especially the way that it's been described to me by this fantastic guest that we have on tap. Her name is Shelby Daco, and she is a human risk analyst. So one of the very first things we're going to do in this episode is break down what that is. But I will give you a bit of a spoiler alert. If you've caught some of the past episodes on social engineering, I did cover that to a degree. This does connect up with that. We're going to get into things like phishing, vishing, smishing. Yeah, and if all of that is sounding a little bit funny to you, don't worry. That'll all be broken down for you as well. But rest assured, it does have to do with information security and the protection of it, the managing the threats associated with those issues. So we're going to get into how you become a human risk analyst. I'm going to get like a look at the certification process of doing so. We even have this really engaging conversation about the gamification and how that aspect enters into the workflow and makes this job you know, pretty interesting, I would say. Beyond that, there's an entertaining story which speaks to the kind of random moments you do sort of encounter within this world. And then finally, we do close things out with a talk on tech and AI and how that's shifting and changing things around. All up, we've got a great episode coming your way. But before we get into it, let me more formally introduce the guest to you, and we can get started. Shelby Daco is a human risk analyst with Social Engineer LLC, an information security company that focuses on helping clients to strengthen their human firewall through phishing, vishing, smishing, and security assessments. Now, before joining the cybersecurity field, Shelby was focused on obtaining her certification for interpreting American Sign Language. Her interest in communication and language led her to the Foundational Application of Social Engineering, FASE, class. 
and after attending, she made it her goal to co-teach this class with a social engineering pioneer in Christopher Hadnagy, which she now does. Shelby's specialties include vishing, open source intelligence or OSINT work, educational material production, and public speaking. Notably, she has made over 20,000 vishing calls in her career, and she holds a Certified Ethical Social Engineer, CESE, certification, and has spoken for Fortune 500 companies. On her days off, Shelby enjoys volunteering for the Innocent Lives Foundation, an organization whose mission is to identify anonymous child predators and assist law enforcement to help bring them to justice. So with the aforementioned noted, here is my conversation with Shelby Daco. Yeah, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Shelby? Hi, pretty good. How about yourself? Excellent, excellent. I've been looking forward to this talk. We were just speaking off air. I've been working my way through employees within your company, Social Engineering, and uh, I'm really excited for <laughs> another look at it from a different perspective. So yeah, with that in mind, I do have this first segment lined up. It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. And as my listeners know, it's a segment where I just read off a definition related to what the guest does or the field that they're within. And what I went with for you here is information security. So let me just read that off and maybe you could comment after. Does that sound okay? Perfect. All right. So here we go. Information security. Information security, sometimes shortened to InfoSec, is the practice of protecting information by mitigating information risks. It is part of information risk management. It typically involves preventing or reducing the probability of unauthorized or inappropriate access to data or the unlawful use, disclosure, disruption, deletion, corruption, modification, inspection, recording, or devaluation of information. It also involves actions intended to reduce the adverse impacts of such incidents. There's a lot packed in there. First take, what do you think of that? Well, I think it's a pretty cohesive definition. I think a lot of the time when people think of InfoSec as well, they think of the technical side of it. So listeners might be surprised to find out that I myself am, am not quite a technical person. We do have many on our team who are, but I'm not one of those. So, so we focus on more of the human side of that security at Social Engineer with the things that I'm involved with. Okay. Really quickly, I know we're going to get into this later, but maybe you could just highlight a few things in terms of your role and your responsibility as it pertains to what you were just referring to. Yeah, absolutely. So we do four things that I'm involved with mainly, so I'll go through them. We do send out phishing emails as tests. We'll do vishing phone calls. So you can think of it as voice-based phishing. And we'll do smishing text messages. And then we'll do on-site security assessments as well. So that's the really fun part that got me interested in the, in the line of work, where people basically, our clients will hire us to assess their physical security, or in other words, they'll hire us to break into their buildings. Yeah. You know, I, I did have you know, the president of your company, Chris Hadnagy, on, and he shared a couple of really, you know, engaging stories in relation to what you're yeah. referring to there. <laughs> so yeah, if people haven't caught that episode, I certainly encourage everyone to go check that out as well. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. In terms of social engineering, again, you know, I can't assume that everyone's caught those episodes I was just referring to. Could you even just give a basic breakdown on what social engineering means? That might trip some people up as well. Oh, definitely. So it is an interesting one, and I'm glad you brought it up because if you Google social engineering, the definition that you get is one that's very negative. So we and Chris Hadnagy came up with our own definition. So we define it as 
any act that influences someone to take an action that may or may not be in their best interest. So it's a little bit more broad and not quite as negative as you might find as the ones on the internet. And we we frame it that way because we feel that social engineering really encompasses communication you know, the way that we communicate with everyone around us on a day-to-day basis. So it can be used in a lot of different ways, uh, both for good and for bad. Yeah, yeah, I like that distinction. And certainly an important one as well to, to address there. Okay, well, why don't we slide into this other segment? It's called Day in the Life. You know, I see your official title is that of human risk analyst. And to be honest, when I was going through some, you know, job sites and whatnot, I was trying to look for just a general definition or general look at it so I could formulate some questions. And I could not find anything. And I think that speaks to the point of just how quickly this InfoSec, you know, industry and and, and realm is evolving. But maybe you could uh, shed some light in terms of what that role is all about. I mean, you just lightly explained some of the, the responsibilities, but maybe you could get into that a little bit further for us. Yeah, absolutely. So a day in the office for me, it looks like I come in, I get my coffee because that's a necessity. Um, <laughs> I, I will usually start my day with some vishing. So we have different clients that will vish and they ask us to basically elicit certain flags or pieces of information from their employees that their employees are told they're not supposed to give out. Okay. So a vishing call might look something like me calling and saying, Hey, my name is Kaylee. I'm, I'm calling with HR today. You know, there was some information in your file that we just need to tighten up. Do you have a moment to go through that with me? So something that seems really, really innocuous. Yeah, definitely. And see what kind of information they're willing to part with. So then we take that information, we'll put it into a form, and we'll feed all of this information back to the client, usually at the end of a month or however long they want it to go. And then we will write a report for them, tell them this is the information that we obtained from your employees. You know, this is the kind of things that most employees weren't aware was sensitive information, things like that. And we will give them mitigation suggestions on how to help and, and tighten their security more. So that's usually what the, the main part of my day is, is, is vishing. But you know, I, I do other things as well, like content creation. So sometimes I'll have a couple hours to write or do media sourcing, keep up on the day-to-day of what's happening in the industry and things like that. Okay. Okay. So in terms of your day being a prize of vishing and whatnot, would you say that's like half of your day or or more, three quarters perhaps? So it depends because I'm also involved in things that we do with fishing and, and smishing and things like that as well. So We also do what we call social engineering risk assessments. So sometimes it will be on the company as a whole or individual people within the company where we'll do research or um, OSINT, as we we call it, open source intelligence gathering on these individuals or these companies. And then we'll put together reports, launch attacks such as phishing or vishing attacks, these tests, and then write the reports on that. So it changes from week to week. You know, there are weeks where I'm actually out and I'm doing the on-site assessments as well. So it definitely depends on just how our month is laid out. One more question for the the vishing specifically. I mean, it sounds to me like it could be a bit of a cat and mouse game where, 
you know, you're training up some of these organizations and they're figuring out ways of kind of deflecting and, and putting in mm-hmm. their own security protocols. You know, I'm sure each organization has different varying levels of, of how strong they are in this regard. So for you as a person who's always trying to test that and test those boundaries, it must be at times like a bit of a puzzle, perhaps, you know, is this something that's consuming you where you're kind of trying to figure out different ways or different tactics or techniques to, to get around or to, uh, to source information? Absolutely. I love the illustration of it being a puzzle, you know, because that's exactly what it is. And I have the privilege of working with a really great team. So we will get together and say, you know, I'm having a really hard time getting this one flag, this one piece of information. How are you guys doing it? What techniques are you using? So we constantly have this creative flow going where we're trying to come up with new ways to test and even trying to test more efficiently. A couple years ago, we had this client where we got very used to getting two pieces of information from them, two flags out of the seven that the client tasked us with trying to obtain, or they said, you can try for these pieces of information. So we got very used to going in, getting two flags, and then moving on to the next call. But we realized, hey, that's not best way to test, you know, we're not testing these other pieces of information. We're not testing how far the employee is willing to go. So we actually gamified it. What we did is we said the first person internally to get a seven compromise call wins, right? And I think we put a gift card in the mix or something like that. So we made it a little bit more fun for ourselves. And so that really pushed us. And that's something that we try to carry out with all of our clients now, you know, if we find ourselves getting a little bit stale or a little bit in a rut, you know, in a routine, we'll say, okay, let's gamify it. It's time to gamify it. Let's do something like this again. And so we'll kind of go about it that way to keep each other motivated. I like that. Yeah, I can see the the level of reward you'd be deriving from doing something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that whole gamification aspect to it as well is is quite interesting. It it offers a different sort of vantage point of view of what the the work is all about. And obviously, there's a certain seriousness to it. But in terms of how you approach it and keeping it fresh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, maybe we could rewind a little bit here in this next segment of Pathways. And this one is just, you know, set up to illustrate how people made their way into their profession. And uh, I'd like to find out how you made your way into it. I understand that you had this interest in communication, language, you were on your way to getting certification for ASL, American Sign Language, and yet somehow you ended up in social engineering and information <laughs> security. So I'm really quite <laughs> no. intrigued to, to, to hear a little bit more about how that transpired. So it's really funny. Growing up, my father was in the tech industry, and I always swore to myself I would never get into the tech industry or anything tech adjacent. And here I am. So how did this happen? Really quickly, why is that? Why is that? Oh, you know, it just never interested me in that way. I saw he worked so hard, put in so many hours, and I just feel like I don't have that technical brain in the same way. It was just never my passion. and But now it has turned into that. And so a little bit about the path of how I got into it. I was interpreting in K through 12, so in the school system, and I was starting to look for a summer job. But then while this was happening, I had heard about uh, one of my friends went to the foundational application of social engineering class. 
that he came back and he said, this class is right up your alley. This is, it's about communication. It's about communication profiles. It's about body language. It's about everything that you're interested in. And I was so intrigued by it. And I just knew I wanted to go to this class. And so, of course, that's a class that Chris Hadnagy puts on. And I heard through the grapevine that Chris was hiring. And it lined up at the time where I needed this summer job. But that's all I was looking at it as for for that time. So I ended up interviewing. Um, I managed to get an interview. And I was very upfront with them. I said, you know... I might get a job offer that I really want come August. And I don't know if I'm going to stick around with you guys if if that happens, but I I want to be upfront about that because this is a job that I am very interested in and I'm intrigued by it. And I would like to have the chance to do it. Well, they took a chance on me. August rolls around. I did get that interpreting job offer, but I had fallen in love with the work that I was doing so much that I decided to stay with it. Hmm, how interesting. So I didn't have I didn't have quite a straight path into the industry. It kind of weaved a little bit. That's what comes up time and time again in this program are these squiggly mm. career lines or pathways into where people end up. It's never yeah. so rare that it's like a straight linear line towards where they end mm-hmm. up. You know, I think it's more representative of, of what you just shared there. And what's really interesting to me is the fact that what you led off with, you had no interest in tech and uh, and lo and behold, that's yeah. where you end up. <laughs> Did you ever imagine as well, because like a certain element of what you're involved in is related to social deviance in a way, right? Like some mm-hmm. bad actors trying to steal some sensitive information or, or otherwise. Was that ever anything that appealed to you, like that side of things? Oh, yeah. I mean, who, who doesn't grow up watching like Criminal Minds or Oceans movies or, you know? So all of those things definitely interested me, but I never thought that it would be something that I could make into a career. I didn't even know this career existed for the longest time. And so kind of seeing that come together, I just feel like I found my place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that might be a nice point to segue into this next question or next segment of Q&A Discovery. And I understand that you've made over 20,000 vision calls across your career. (laughs) (laughs) That is certainly a big number. What, what could you say in terms of what that accomplishment means to you and maybe, you know, those within your industry or those within your own organization? You know, it, it means a lot to me because I think about when I first started and I was on this panel, I think this illustrates it well, I was on this panel at a conference and we were discussing vishing and there were four or five of us and they asked the question, how many vishing calls do you make in a day? And one person said, oh, if I have to do 10, it's a lot, usually like 10 a month. And I was surprised. And I, I was like, oh, I do, I do like 100 a day about. And they all kind of stopped and stared at me. But for me, it was just the norm. Right. It was just what I was used to. Well, what I've come to find out and that I didn't really know at the time um, because I was so new to the industry is our company is really the only company that does vishing on the scale that we do it to. So you talk to other companies and they'll do maybe 25 vishing calls a month or per contract or something like that, while we do thousands a month. So that volume and the the amount of people in the world that have made that many vishing calls is very, very small. And so that 20,000 calls, you know, that means a lot to me 
because there aren't many of us that have done that. And I'm privileged to say that I work with many of the people that have. Yeah, I would imagine that involves a certain degree of technique, obviously know how and, and what, you know, your techniques are in terms of like going about doing it and doing it effectively. But as an, you know, as an industry that's still evolving and still relatively new, you know, you're probably setting some degree of standard in, in doing what you're doing or what your team is doing and what they're all about. As you just said, I mean, like that, that's a stark difference in terms of what your organization's putting out, you know, in terms of accomplishment and, and whatnot versus some of these other organizations. You're probably, well, one, raising a lot of eyebrows, you know, stating numbers like that. But also they're probably like, how the heck is she doing this? How, like, what are her techniques or how is she going about structuring these calls and whatnot? I'm guessing at least there's, there, there must be discussion on this. I'm sure that people are asking you, you know, what, how are you doing this? What, what is your secret sauce, all of this? Yeah, well, it is interesting. There's not going to be any shortage of work for us in the industry because vishing is on the rise. We're seeing it happen more and more. But then the awareness of it and the need for the training is also on the rise. So I think we will see people start to do and implement, I, I hope, this training more and more. And as that happens, we'll need more and more companies doing it on this grander scale as well. Yeah, most definitely. And it seems like you're poised to, uh, to be a leader within that space, it would seem to me at least. I do have this other question here in terms of certification. It's called Certified Ethical Social Engineer. And perhaps this is something you were referring to earlier. But I'd love to know a little bit more about what this certification means. I mean, for somebody who might be interested in this right now, they're listening. What is that all about, that certification? What goes into it? Perhaps you could uh, share a little bit on that. I love this question because I love this certification. It is the only certification like it in the world. And it puts to the test social engineering skills in a professional setting. That it's, it's very hard to test on because... Who are you going to make phishing calls to? Who are you going to send phishing emails to? How are you going to do all of this legally? This certification is the only one of its kind, and it's a great mixture of social engineering and technical skills as well. So you'll be tested on your OSINT skills, uh, your ability to craft phishing emails, to make phishing calls. And you have to do all of this while adhering to the social engineering code of ethics that Christopher Hanagi wrote as well. So leaving people better off for having met you not using tactics like fear or greed to scare your, well, for lack of a better word, targets into giving you the information that, that they want. So you have to do this in an ethical way as well. But to pass, you also need to craft a report because if you think about it, that's the indeliverable of any professional social engineer is going to be that report and you'll need to meet a required score. So it's a very, very interesting certification and if you have any interest in getting into this field, I would absolutely encourage you to pursue it. Okay. And where might people find this? So you can find uh, more information about it on our website at social-engineer.com. And to take it and to learn more about it, you, can take, you, you need to take one of our courses. So we have the foundational application of social engineering course and then the practical application of social engineering courses. So you can take one or the other of those, whichever interests you more or both, and then you qualify to take that, that test, that certification. Is it digitally available or is it something that people have to do on site? No, you can do this remotely. I do have one other quick question too, and this is something I meant to ask you know, previous guests in relation to social engineering. 
it's in regards to that, that ethical way about doing things and trying to get to, to gain information. I, I can see the, the ethical side and the reasons for that. But then also at the same time, I was wondering, like, certainly there's going to be some of those bad actors who aren't adhering to ethics. Like they're doing anything and everything that they can oh, to, to steal away that information. So as far as training up your clients to keep those people at bay and to not certainly give up that type of information, how do you go about doing that while not you know, using some of the, the, the principles and tactics that probably some of these bad actors are using? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. So we help our clients to identify the kind of techniques that these malicious attackers will use. So we use many of the same techniques, but when it comes to certain emotions that we're looking to trigger, we don't want to trigger anything that's going to leave in lasting harm to those that we're training. So while the bad actors will use intense things like fear or, or, you know, threatening to fire somebody, something like that, it's it's difficult to train against that fear. How are you going to tell someone, don't be scared of losing your job? You can't train against that. However, if they know the techniques that are being used, that are being leveraged, and they have the training and they feel empowered to hang up that phone or to send that email to their security team, then they're going to be in a much better position to combat those things once they do encounter them. Got it. In terms of another aspect of your work, I understand that you give talks, you go to Fortune 500 companies and speak about social engineering. And I'd be curious to know about the types of discussions that you're having as well as, you know, their level of knowledge and awareness for these issues. Certainly, I mean, these phishing, phishing, smishing issues are becoming more and more prevalent. It's in the media a lot more. So I'm I'm guessing the awareness levels have been rising, but maybe you'd be better equipped to speak to this than I am. So I'd love to hear what you have to say for that. So there are two topics that I really enjoy and am passionate about speaking about currently. Vishing for one, because it's what I specialize in, it's what I do. And then secondly, imposter syndrome, which might sound a little weird to some, but it's really this, for those that don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's this feeling of feeling like you're not good enough or you don't belong in the space that that you're in. And I think it's something that most of us can relate to at one time or another. But the awareness of these issues of vishing and of phishing, it's it's there, but I think people sometimes think of vishing at a more basic level, which there are. There are very basic vishing attacks. You know, for example, I don't know about you guys, but the IRS will call me a couple times a year to tell me that I owe them money, right? <laughs> so we're all familiar with vishing at its most basic. However, in some of these talks that I do, we actually listen to professional recorded social engineering calls, these vishing calls that we do on a day-to-day basis. And through that, people are able to see how how subtle these attacks can be and how powerful they, they really can be. So I think it's always interesting to see the eyes of everyone yeah, as they're listening drop. to these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the information that we're gathering on these calls you know, there's always someone that's laughing, like very uncomfortably. There's always someone that's shaking their head. You know, it's just, it's interesting to see those reactions because the calls just sound like any 
tech support person calling or anyone from HR. So at that moment that you can see the awareness and the understanding of how dangerous these attacks can really be and how fruitful they can be, that I think it sinks in a little bit more for people. I bet. I bet. Just the level of sophistication, I, I would assume, mm-hmm. you know, that goes into some of these calls. And for ones that are really good at what they do and, and, and getting the information, certainly somebody like yourself, you know, you could really show and illustrate just how simple it can be at times. And it must be terrifying for these companies to think like this, this is all it takes. I always say after now, the goal of this is not to scare you. <laughs> you know, we do have ways to protect against this. And then we go into that. But yeah, it's always interesting to see the reactions and responses. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I would like to to shift over to this other question here. And it returns to you and it's a bit more on the personal side of things. And I'd like to draw a reference to the fact that, you know, I was introduced to you by one of your colleagues. This is what she wrote in an email. I'm just going to read that off. and Maybe you could comment afterwards. This is what she said. So she is our master fisher and just an altogether inspiring woman. As a strong woman in a male-dominated industry, Shelby has already made a splash and would be greatly inspiring to listeners. What do you think of that? Wow, that is so sweet and incredibly kind of her. Yeah, Dr. Abby is someone that I would consider a you know a very strong woman and also a male-dominated industry. So to hear her even, you know, give me a, a portion of, of that commendation as well is definitely humbling. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. That's so nice. I, I appreciate that that she views me in that way. And I can certainly say that she has done incredible things for her industry and, and our industry and where those overlap. You know, we're turning to that point about, you know, your, your place within the industry and it being male dominated. I mean, how has that been for you? And how has that evolved, I suppose? Again, like the, the the type of work that you're doing for one and also the level of accomplishment and what you've been able to achieve certainly would garner a lot of respect. But maybe you could speak to that point really quickly, too. You know, I, I always find it interesting because I think I have a very unique experience within the industry when it comes to this and this kind of a question, because I've heard horrific stories from other women in the industry. And I personally have not had any of those bad experiences. And I think that really speaks highly to the people that surround me. I have had an incredible entrance into the industry and time in the industry and had nothing but people treat me with respect. And so I just think that goes to speak a lot for the company I work for and for the people that I've ended up surrounded by. So certainly within your organization, but when you step out, when you're giving these talks, when you're going to Mm -hmm. conferences and whatnot, what have your experiences been in in terms of that? Yeah, also good. Also good. I've been in the industry for nearly five years now, and I'm happy to say I haven't had a negative experience at a conference or anything like that yet. So, you know, whether that's coming or not, time will tell. But so far, everyone has been very respectful of me. Yeah, it's, it's really been incredible. It's been a pleasure to be in the industry. Okay, well, that's certainly encouraging to hear. I do have one last question in this segment here, and it returns to you once again. In terms of this work, you know, and the level of imprint that it has on you, on, on your life, on living, what would you say to that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it definitely makes me more aware. Uh, for example, in just the day-to-day things, you know, I had... My bank called me last year and asked me for my social security number. 
And I didn't want to be annoying, but I knew I needed to do my proper verification. I asked them, please, if I could call them back. And they gave me a callback number while I went, you know, to my computer. And I looked up the number on the bank's website and I used that number to call back. I ended up getting in touch with the same person that had called me. So it worked out that it was legitimate, you know, but things like that, I'm so much safer, I would say, in the actions and steps that I take now and more cautious because of that. And it has affected those around me as well. My grandparents were actually victims of a vishing scam within the last couple of years. And so being able to sit down and talk to them and talk to them about things that they can look out for and help them in that way. You know, there's had a happy ending. They were able to recover the money that they lost. And so that was, that was great, but you know, it, it affects a lot. And I think it helps those, those around you. And it, it definitely makes me feel good day to day to be doing the work that I'm doing because it is so important, not only for companies, but for families as well. Hmm. Yeah, I can certainly see that the value you could be deriving in, in this, this type of work. You know, as far as like when you're leaving the office, is it something that you're taking home with you? Does it stay with you at all at times? Or what would you say to that? Well, sometimes, you know, I think it depends on the conversations that we have. Sometimes I'll remember an especially good conversation or one that might have been a little rough. You know, sometimes there are things we can't always leave at the office, so it'll stick with you. But Overall, my experience has been extremely positive with it. What what keeps you motivated? I think it's just knowing that people are going to be better off for having gone through this testing that we do on a day-to-day basis. Because we always remind each other, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll have a call and the person is so nice. But on the other side of it, we know they just gave away information that they weren't supposed to give away. And so sometimes that can get to us, especially when we first start, and we'll start to feel a little bad about it. So what I do, I, I put it in my, my team chat, and I say, guys, I'm feeling a little down about this one. This is what happened. And then they'll remind me, what if you were the bad actor and they got this information? You know, it's, it's better that they gave this information to you, to someone that actually cares about them, than give it to someone else. And now for the next time, they're going to be better off. So I think. Just knowing that and thinking about that and thinking about, you know, my my grandparents, for example, like just thinking about the things that are leaving them better off for having gone through this testing is really what keeps me motivated. Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it, because as you're explaining that, I, I could certainly appreciate that level of challenge. I guess that's the right word here. You know, when you are extracting that information from someone who maybe is someone a little bit older and they, they, they give it up willingly and yeah, yeah. You, you might feel that tinge of guilt, but you're right. It's a reframe. It's a complete reframe because had they given that up to, like I said, a bad actor, it could certainly have some, some really negative consequences. So at least there is that learning opportunity there. Would you say that aspect of your work is one of the bigger challenges or are there some other things? Yeah. Another thing that I occasionally struggle with is it can be the volume of calls that we make because we are making so many, you know, we, we try to give our best on every single call, but sometimes we have those human moments and we're just not able to do that. So I, I take a break, I go outside or I'll read a book for a few minutes or go get a cup of coffee. So just small things like that really help me to keep going and, and deal with 
with that aspect of it. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. I feel like we're getting a really well-rounded look at the work that you do. And uh, with that in mind, I would like to uh, to shift into this other segment, a water cooler story. And I'm really keen to hear what you have for us. It's a segment where I just ask, you know, guests to indulge listeners with the story related to their work. So what, what do you have for us today, Shelby? Well, you know, when I first entered the industry, I was hearing all these crazy stories about running away from armed guards or almost driving off a cliff in the middle of the night. And, you know, some of these stories that maybe Chris told you about. And I don't know why I heard these stories and thought, hey, that's what I want to do. But I did. And I've had some really fun experiences of my own now. So one that's that's not as crazy, but I I like it because it illustrates that we each bring value to the team uh, is is the one I think I'm going to share with you today. We had a team of five, which is quite a large team for these engagements. Uh, Three of us were new and were being trained that went out on a on an on-site job. And so we approached this building and we had done our daytime engagements and had been successful. And so now it was time for our nighttime engagement. Well, we sent two people in, they were able to get in the building and they let the rest of us in. And so after collecting all the evidence that we could and you know, walking around doing everything that we could, we really had one goal left. And that goal was to get into their storage center because that center had a door that led to their their knock their network operations center their computer room and so we were trying to get into there so we needed to access first the storage area and there was one door that was locked that we could get to and it was a door that was in their cafeteria and i'm not very good at lock picking i know the basics i know the basics but I'm not, I would not say I'm skilled at it by any means. And so we had a couple people on our team who were more skilled at it than I was. And so they were trying to reach this door. Well, we're all in this cafeteria, you know, we're trying to organize all the information that we've gathered so far and think about what we can do next. So we're just kind of waiting there. We kind of all stall out for a minute and we look around and my team lead looks over and you know how in cafeterias they have um, how they store their their trash bins under in cabinets and there's a, a top that has holes in it. So you can just, you know, toss your garbage in the top and it goes in the trash can. You don't see the trash cans. Well, they had that set up. So and it's it's right next to the door that we were trying to get into. So the team lead, my boss, he goes over and he puts a flashlight on this phone. And I'm like, what is he doing? Well, he puts his phone down into that that hole where the trash can was under. And he looks behind the trash. And he sees that the doors are open on the other side of that. So he takes the phone out. And for some context, I am a very tiny person. Okay. I am very short. I probably weighed about 100 pounds at the time this was happening. You know, I I was small and everyone else was taller than me that was there. So he takes his phone out and he looks at me. He doesn't say a word, but I just know <laughs> I'm going in the trash. Exactly. I can see where this <laughs> is going. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see I see where this is going. And so I go over and he was too nice to recommend it and I'm like, I'll go in the trash if you want me to. Like it's not it's fine. It's fine. I can go in the trash. This is what I can do. I, I'm not good at lock picking. 
we've done everything else we can do. You know, yeah. this is what I can do yeah. for the team. So I was able to get up on the counter, lower myself in, get out the other side and open the door from the other side for the team. And that was just my my very Ocean's Eleven light moment. And so that's why I love that story. Ocean's Eleven. There you go. It's a nice reference there. I was yep. thinking, you know, that <laughs> film or a few other ones, you know, like that, that type of work. I just I can't imagine that being part of anyone's job detail or being part of that, even if it's, you know, here and there. It's not so often. The fact that you are still, uh-huh. you know, sometimes engaged with that type of activity still just kind of blows my mind. And it must uh, must certainly deliver a degree of thrill, you know, for one. And then, geez, the conversations it you does. guys must have after work around that water cooler, <laughs> they must be quite engaged. Oh, yeah. They are definitely interesting. And it's one of my favorite parts of the job. Yeah. Just having these stories and having these moments with this team that is there to support you and figure out creative ways, of, like whether it's into a building or on a fishing call. It's just, it's definitely very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Really quickly. I mean, I know your speciality is fishing, but like you do these types of jobs as well from time to time, even now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A couple months ago, I was wading across the river at 2 a.m. So that's a story uh, <laughs> okay. for another time, I guess. But, you know, we're, we're there and, and I'm with my bosses and I look up and I say to one of them, I'm like, who, who else has a job that requires them to wade across the river at 2 a.m. and jump? over a barbed wire fence like this this is not (laughs) normal (laughs) and we all just start laughing and then i slip and fall and get soaked and you know (laughs) yeah so we have some really good times for sure i bet i bet all right well thanks for sharing that story yeah i really do appreciate that and i'm sure listeners are really gonna love it too well we do have one last segment here our crystal ball segment as the name implies we're usually looking towards the future trends predictions so on and so forth and I think I might have drawn reference to this already. The fact that like social engineering, this whole industry seems to be evolving at such a rapid pace. And it probably speaks to the point of technology and, and the way it's also evolving. Certainly right now with AI and what's happening there, I mean, that sort of accelerates things even further. And I get a sense that with all of this rapid change, you know, it's constantly creating little loopholes, I would say, for again, this term, bad actors or people who don't have the right intentions to kind of take advantage and to steal away sensitive data, information, or otherwise. But what would you say to this? Like, are you seeing an uptick in these types of attempts at, at stealing away you know, sensitive information? What would you say to, to the rise of all of this? Well, you're right. It's certainly on the rise, and we see more and more of it. I would say the attempts have always been there. However, the methods are getting more and more creative. So one thing, you know, you mentioned with AI, now you can say, hey, write me a phishing email or write me, write me an email about this or write, you know, and you can kind of level up your writing. So we might not see as many grammatical errors in phishing emails going forward. Things like that are the things that we need to be on the lookout for and test and, and train to defend against. Yeah, that must keep you on your toes. Certainly, you've, you've got to keep updating your own flags, like like you just mentioned. Maybe in the past mm-hmm. it was grammatical errors or whatnot. You have to kind of go through that. Now it's probably this cat and mouse game of taking some of this content and putting it into maybe a different AI based application to kind of like sift through and like, is this legit? Is it not? Has this been altered? You know, like it must. Yeah, right. Cat and mouse is what kind of comes to mind when I when I hear all of this, or at least when I consider yeah. it. It'll be interesting to see how the industry evolves over the next few years, even 
but, you know, we just need to remember that we need to remain open to evolving with it. And we need to level up our training and our testing and everything like that. That's why I say, you know, we're hoping that more industries pop up that do fishing on the scale that we do because it's necessary. It's needed at this point. And that's just, you know, a sad fact of the the world that we live in. But as as long as we continue trying our best to guard against it and spreading awareness, that's what's going to help keep us safe. Absolutely. Well, we have blown through this conversation. I can't believe we're already at the end here. It's been absolutely engaging from start to finish. And I can't thank you enough, Shelby. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It went too fast. Well, for those interested in learning more about Shelby and her work, you can find her at socialengineer.com. She's also on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for reference, all this information, including links, will be in the show notes. And hey, as I always say, if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. And then lastly, head on over to YouTube. As I mentioned off the top, I will have some video highlights over there so you can check that out. Don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living. Thank you.